You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Well, in, in case you're new and in case you hadn't heard, we've been in this series called Calm the Chaos, and we've been looking at how we can, uh, through God's Word and the principles that are there, we can not only calm the chaos in our lives, but allow God to show us the beautiful future that he has for us. And today, we're going to look into the scriptures and see how the church is designed to be a part of calming the chaos in our lives. Now, before we talk about how the church can help, I think it would be appropriate to acknowledge some of the imperfections of the church. You know, I uh, have been a part of churches for the majority of my life now. And believe you me, I have had my fair share of frustrations with organized religion or organized churches. But here's what you got to understand, is that anytime you get two or three people together, you've got something that's been organized, right? And every time you get two or three people together or more and organize something and have people there, you're going to have imperfections because people are imperfect, right? That's why we don't bail out on church when we see that it's imperfect. The longer you're here at this church, the more imperfection you will see. And that's going to be true at any church you go to. But you know, we don't bail out on other organized things just because they're organized, right? You bail out on organized sports, don't watch any football this afternoon. You bail out on organized education just because of problems in education, then you'll be a dummy the rest of your life and you won't learn anything, right? So we don't bail out on the church just because it's been organized, even though we acknowledge the imperfections therein. So several years ago, my frustrations were well captured by an author named Gabe Lyons, and he wrote a book called Unchristian. And in the book Unchristian, Gabe looked at the ways that younger generations are frustrated with the church these days. And I want to just point out three of the things that he pointed out in his book. He said that younger people in our culture today see the church as hypocritical, that is, saying one thing, living out another. And we know that sometimes that can be true of some churches and some people. And then also some churches are too political, right? Uh, A lot of churches have been uh, associated with a very right-wing kind of politic. And then third, uh, some churches have been seen as too judgmental, that is, prideful and quick to point out the faults in others and not acknowledging the faults that are within the church. And I need to ask you a question at this point. Have you or any of your friends or family members ever been legitimately hurt by a church? Now, what I'm not talking about is sometimes pastors have to like read the Word of God, the Bible, and the Bible might offend you. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when a pastor is unnecessarily controlling or speaks down to people. Or I'm talking about when a religious institution or organization takes advantage of someone in a very unhealthy way. Have you ever been hurt by the church? Well, because of that, I thought it would be appropriate for us to stop at this point and just pray about this. So would you guys join me in a prayer and just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and as we sit here before the Lord in a spirit and an attitude of prayer, if you've been genuinely hurt by organized religion, I want you to just peek up at me real quick. Anybody been genuinely hurt by it? Yeah, a bunch of us. And I want you to stay looking at me just for a minute, those of you that peeked up, because I want to tell you something. 
I'm going to speak on behalf of what that religious institution or that pastor or that religious leader should say to you if he or she were here right now. I was wrong for hurting you and taking advantage of you and making you feel controlled in an unhealthy way. Will you please forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive that? Good. Father, we lift these hurts and wounds that have come from churches to you right now. And we ask you to heal these wounds and calm that inner chaos and hurt inside of us. And we ask you to create a beautiful future for us and in us, in your church. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake, everyone said, amen. So we've kind of acknowledged that the church is imperfect. If the church is imperfect, then how should we think about what's a mental metaphor for church for us? And as I was thinking about that metaphor uh, in preparation for this talk, something came to my mind. Um, I've been married to my wife now for 28 years. And in that time, uh, I've seen that when there's chaos in her life, when she's stressed about something or when she's sick, uh, I know I can do one thing that will help her. I can get her to her mom or I can get her mom to her. And if Jeannie's mom comes, you know what she's going to do? She's going to put Jeannie underneath a blankie and she's going to go into the kitchen and she's going to make her a baked potato and it's going to have butter on it and it's going to have salt and pepper and she's going to take that baked potato to my wife, Jeannie. Jeannie's going to eat it. She's going to be under her blankie with her comfort food and she's going to be fine, okay? It doesn't matter what chaos is going on in her life. If mom is there, my wife will be fine. And that is the metaphor for church today. When it's functioning properly, the church is like our spiritual mother. Now, I understand for some of you, the mother metaphor is not such a good thing, right? Because perhaps you didn't have a good experience growing up with your mother. But if you had a bad experience with mother, maybe you would, th you would want to think of like grandmother or aunt or other relative or friend that served in the role of healthy mother for you. And when you think about that person that was mother to you, that's what you want to think of when you think of church. She is here to help us calm and create a beautiful future. And so that's why I want to submit this one simple idea to you today, and it's this. When life is chaotic, get home to who? Mom. When life is chaotic, get home to mom, and that is the church. I've been very open with you guys throughout the years about when my life was in spiritual chaos, my marriage was on the rocks, I was struggling spiritually, and everything within me wanted to just bolt from church. I wanted to get far away from church and engage in my pain-numbing activities. And some of you have had those. Maybe it was just the people at the last service that have done pain-numbing <laughs> activities, maybe not the godly people at this service. But I chose instead to get home to mom, the church. And it was City Church that helped me calm the chaos in my marriage and spirit and create a beautiful future for my life. 
So even though churches have problems, the church, according to the Scripture, remains God's chosen instrument to help people calm down and create beautiful futures for their lives. And so today, we're going to look at Matthew 16, and word by word, we're going to dissect Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Let me show you that text. And I tell you, Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was teaching this to his group of young Jewish disciples who were experiencing the chaos of life in occupied Palestine, occupied by the Romans. The Romans were brutal. They brought heavy taxation, and it brought chaos in the lives of everyone in that region. And so today, I'm going to show you three truths that Jesus showed his disciples regarding the church. And the first one is simply this. The church is a rock with many stones. The church is a rock with many stones. Now, in that text that we're studying today, Jesus talks to Peter. He says, you're Peter. And you know what Peter means in the Greek? It is a Greek word, petros, O-S on the end. And it means small stone. So when you... Uh, hear the word Peter, I want you to think small stone, okay? So I say Peter, you say? Okay, you're a little slow, but we'll try it again, okay? Let's try it again. I say Peter, you say? Okay, and then he goes on to say, on this rock. Now, when he says this rock, that's another Greek word that's similar to Petros, but it's Petros with an A-S on the end. And what it means is like immovable stone, okay? So when I say that stone, you say, <laughs> they're like, I'm not sure what he means here. Well, immovable, right? Yeah, that's right. Immovable rock, okay? So that stone, yeah, immovable rock, like a boulder, like a cliff face there. And so part of what Jesus is saying is that what the church is, it's a lot of us little stones. And when you take us little stones, and you put us together, we create like an immovable rock, a solid foundation on which people can stand in the midst of the storms or the chaos in their lives. We are like together a nurturing, mothering community that is solid for people to calm in the midst of their chaos. And when we partner together in unity to do that, we rock. Okay, so the, the, I want you to turn someone next to you and I want you to tell them, you rock. <laughs> you rock. <laughs> okay, and some lady just said, I may rock, but you can't have my phone number, okay? <laughs> that, that's, that's the truth of the deal. But let me show you another nuance of uh, truth from the rock here. Uh, context is king when you're uh, interpreting the Bible. And so it's always important to understand where Jesus is and the context of, uh, of what he's saying. And so this particular declaration was made by Jesus at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, I want to take you to Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi by way of picture real quick. And you can see on the picture, there is a cave there. Now, the ancients believed that their Greek gods would fly in and out of that cave to and from the underworld. And so that cave was known as the Gates of Hades, or in our translation that we're studying from today, the Gates of Hell. And so if, you, uh, if your friends ask you, uh, hey, are you aware of the Gates of Hell? Yeah, I saw a picture of the Gates of Hell today at church, uh, right there. 
in church. That's what it is. It's this cave. And the ancients also would have worshipped Pan at this site. The goat god Pan. Maybe you've seen pictures of the dude that's like half goat, half dude. Um, anyways, on the face of this cliff, you would have seen these carvings of Pan, the Greek god. Uh, you would have seen paintings of him there on the face of the rock. Now, this is the part where you may want to hold your children's ears because um, Pan was kind of known for a sexual prowess. And so much of the paintings and pictures and renderings of Pan that was on the face of that cliff would have been pornographic. And Pan worshipers would have come before uh, that cliff and they would have worshipped Pan by engaging in lewd sexual acts in a religious manner while they were looking up at that rock face. And so part of what Jesus is saying to his young disciples is, on this rock, I'm even going to build my church, and the gates of Hades, hell, will not prevail against it. And so basically, Jesus is saying there, you know what, I'm even going to build my church on people like those women that wear clear heels and get paid in $1 bills, and I'm going to build my church on men who have looked at porn, but I'm not going to leave them that way. I'm going to transform them and change them and take these little stones and make them into a solid rock where the chaos in their lives is calmed. And that gives us hope because such are many of us who have struggled in our lives and engaged in things that we're ashamed of in our past, and we're being transformed by the power of God. But let me show you another uh, truth about the church, and that is church is designed by Jesus. Jesus says, I will build. He's like this master builder, master designer. Jesus was, uh, in the Greek language, he was a tecton. That means he was a carpenter, craftsman. And he would take wood and shape it and cut it, and he would take stones, and he was probably a master stonemason because carpenters in that day didn't just work with wood, but they were also like stonemasons, and so he would chip away at these stones and fit them and form them into the building. Have you ever felt like Jesus was chipping away at you? <laughs> You're going through some chaos, and some of your chaos isn't uh, a bad thing, it's Jesus chipping away at you and forming you for his redemptive purpose in the world. And certainly, Peter knew this chipping away because Peter had to go through a whole lot of pruning in his life to change. And as he matured, he wrote down some words that he had learned from Jesus about the church. And I'm going to show them to you in First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 5. Peter says, and you are living what? stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Imagine that. Did you know that? You're, you're a holy priest. You know what that begs for. You need to tell someone next to you, you're a holy priest. Tell them real quick, you're a holy priest. Yeah. Not you're a holy pain, you're a holy priest, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to wear the black outfit, you know, with a little white thingy on your Adam's apple, but it means that you're a little stone that's in unity with other brothers and sisters in the faith being built into this foundation where people's chaos can be calmed in their lives. You guys are these holy priests. And a good builder understands how to adapt and change as the project goes on. And you know that God is adapting and changing and forming and shaping you to do something beautiful in your future. And he's done that for the church as a whole. 
you know, in any building project, you have to adapt and change as you go along in the project. In fact, if we just look at the Cameo project, we've just been in the design phase so far, and we've already made many, many changes in the way that we're going to renovate this old theater, right? Um, and that's the way the church of God is. It adapts and changes over the ages in order to best serve the needs and calm the chaos of the people who are hurting in our world. Now, I read a book a few years ago called The Great Emergence, and this book picks up on the fact that every 500 years, roughly 500 years, the church goes through an adaptation and changes its form of expression in order to best serve the needs of the culture around. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to take you back to 1007 BC, and one of these adaptations was what's called the Davidic dynasty, in which the people of God were organized under a king. King David was one of those kings. And then but roughly 500 years later, in 586 BC, came what's called the Babylonian captivity, in which the people of God were taken out of their own land. They were displaced in the land of Babylon and had to express the kingdom of God there in a foreign land. And then roughly 500 years later, in 36 AD, was the biggest change, and that is Jesus. When he came onto the scene, he died for the sins of the world. He set up the ecclesia, or the called out ones, the people of God that is known as the church. And then roughly 500 years later, in 590 AD, came Gregory and monasticism, right? The rise of the monks. They wore the Jedi outfits with the hoods that shaved their heads, all that kind of stuff, right? And then roughly 500 years from there came what's called the East-West Schism in 1054 AD. That's when Christianity was not just an Eastern spirituality, but moved towards the West. And then you have in 1517 what's called the Protestant Reformation, when Protestants rose up and started expressing Christian spirituality apart from the Catholic Church, and everybody didn't have to be a Catholic anymore to follow Jesus. And right now, in 2016, we're right in the middle of one of those 500-year adaptations. The Church of God, the Kingdom of God, the people of God are expressing themselves in all sorts of new ways. See, so sometimes in countries where Christians are persecuted, the smaller house churches thrive where the church has to go underground. In other parts of the West, the church can meet up in a bar like our city church West or in a school uh, like the first city church started in a school or whether it's a cathedral or a coffee shop or even in an old quirky theater, the church continues to adapt and change. And it changes not only in its form of expression, but also in its purity. God continues to purify us to make us more effective at serving the needs of people. And most of Paul's messages or letters that are in the New Testament of the Bible were actually written to correct problems in churches, to purify churches, to help them to be more effective. We all have uh, acknowledge that churches have problems because churches have imperfect people, and that's why we have most of our New Testament is because of imperfect churches. Let me show you what Paul said in Colossians 1.24. He says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the what? Church. 
And even though Paul was very honest about the faults of the church, he loved her. Let me show you the expression of his love in Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved what? The church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And so because of this and other passages, we see that one of the metaphors for the church in the Bible is that the church is Jesus' wife. Do you know that? The church is the wife of Jesus. Now, uh, one Sunday after services, uh, a man was approaching me here at the front, and I thought, oh, no, what's, he, what's this guy want? He had kind of a serious look on his face, and he comes up to me, and he starts to tell me, you know, Pastor Doug, your sermons are the most intellectually stimulating and inspiring messages I think I've ever heard. And I said, tell me more. Tell me more. I sense you are a man of great discernment. Share with me. I know this is a word from God for me. <laughs> but then he said, but. But your wife is a real drag on your ministry and a detriment to what you're trying to do here, and you'd probably be better off if she wasn't involved. <laughs> Ready to go Chuck Norris, you know, <laughs> there on this guy. I mean, this is the love. My wife is the love of my life, and we've been together for all these years. And I've got to confess to you that I just made that whole thing up, right? And everybody knows you had to have made that up because everybody loves your wife, you know, Pastor Doug, because she's way better than you are, and, and she's wonderful, right? And the reason I made that up and told you that is because I want you to understand how Jesus feels when people talk trash about his church. Are you following me on this? Are you tracking with me on this? And we know that there are a lot of people who are sitting around in their pajamas writing up blogs about church who aren't really doing much at all to solve the problems of this world or to help calm the chaos in the lives of people. And they can say whatever they want in our society. But look, you got to know that Jesus is not happy when people talk trash about his church. There's this spooky, smart, missiologist guy named Ed Stetzer. And look at what he says. You can't love Jesus and hate his wife. I think that's true. And one man's wife becomes another man's mom, doesn't he? And men, how do you feel when someone talks about your mom? Look, I understand my mom is not perfect, okay? When she wants me to help her with her computer, it drives me bananas, right? I mean, old people should not have technology. She just started texting, you know, and it's like freaking me out. My mom's on Facebook. She's almost 80 years old. I'm like, oh, no, I'm afraid what she's going to post. No. Blocker. <laughs> she may be imperfect, but we don't talk about my mama. You know what I mean? We don't talk about my fine, loving mama. <laughs> and that's the way we must feel about the church. I think the great Catholic church father, Cyprian of Carthage, rightly said, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church for your what? mother. And our mother is taking a lot of hits these days. 
but don't worry about her. She's going to be fine because look at the third truth about the church. The church prevails. Matthew 16, 18 tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, for years, I've uh, read the books of and listened to some talks from a very influential pastor and author named uh, Bill Hybels. And Bill Hybels um, has been mentor to U.S. presidents and uh, had a a huge impact in this country. And he says that when it's working properly, the local church is the hope of the world. And this is a guy who Uh, leads what's called a Global Leadership Summit, where hundreds of thousands of pastors are trained by him, and it's videocast all over the world. And at this Leadership Summit one year, he uh, had Bono from the band U2 as one of his interviews at the, the conference. And he's interviewing Bono, and Bono really calls out the church in this interview. And Bono kind of goes off on churches for not engaging in social justice like we should. And he calls out the church for not helping to alleviate the suffering caused by HIV AIDS in Africa some years ago. And the church responded. Well, a couple of years later, Hybels invites Bono back to the leadership summit and gets a response from him of what he would say to the church now. And we brought that response by way of video for you. Go ahead and take a look. As a person who's really enjoyed giving off about the church, you have completely ruined it for me because the church has done incredible things. I'm utterly taken aback. Um, I think we referred to it as the sleeping giant, but I didn't know the giant could run that fast. Uh, There is no doubt in my mind that had the church not woken up on the issue of AIDS, that uh, we would not have two million um, uh, Africans on antiretroviral drugs. That simply would not have happened. That simply would not have happened had the church not stepped stepped up to calm the chaos in the lives of people. And I wanted to include today some of the things that's happening in this little church right down here. You know, we've seen 210 children, students, and adults baptized so far this year, and we're not done. We're baptizing on Christmas Eve, and so we're going to see more people changed by the gospel of Christ. And Bono's video didn't include the help that we're giving to Russian pastors when Humby and other city church pastors helped train them just a couple of weeks ago. And Bono's video didn't include the help we're giving to orphans in Moldova and in Mexico. And Bono's video didn't include we're giving the help we're giving for uh, microloans and water wells and healthcare in Liberia, Africa. And Bono's video didn't include the people in this church who have in recent days had the chaos in their lives calmed, the people that you're about to see. There you go. Awesome. You guys go ahead and take a seat just for a minute. And as we wrap up today, just a couple of things I want to make you aware of is that our prayer leaders are going to be here at the front. 
of the stage to pray with you, should that be helpful for you at the conclusion of the service. Also, next Sunday, we're going to continue in this series, Calm the Chaos, and next week, we're going to see one of the most counterintuitive ways to calm your personal chaos, so make sure and come on back for that. Also, I mentioned earlier that we're going to have baptisms on Christmas Eve, and because of that, I wanted to make sure you guys understood how we're going to do church on the Christmas weekend, because this year, Christmas falls on Sunday. Well, I don't want you at church on Sunday. I want you at home with your families. So that's why we're not going to have church on Christmas Sunday, but we're going to have all of our weekend services on Christmas Eve, Saturday night, where we're going to have baptism. So check out the schedule for Christmas Eve right here in the Cameo Theater. We're going to have it at 4 o'clock, 5.30, 7 p.m. And for those of you who like the midnight mass feel, we're going to have 11 p.m., uh, and then after the, uh, at about midnight, I'll keel over and fall asleep uh, because of all the services all day. But that should be a lot of fun. And in the coming days, we'll have baptism signups in the lobby for you so that if you have believed in Christ and would like to be baptized on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll make that possible for you. Now, I had a pretty good week this week because on Friday, we closed on our loan to restore the Cameo Theater. That's fun. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, we signed a ton of papers, and when we got done with it, um, I was very excited, uh, to say the least. I had to jump up and down because we finally got that loan uh, closed. Now, because of that, we're actually going to be displaced from here probably around early January, pending the uh, permitting, city permitting process for uh, doing the work in here. And when we get closer to that day, We'll let you guys know exactly when uh, and where we're going to be displaced. We're actually going to be at Sunset Station, um, but we'll let you know the exact date for that um, and the new service times when we uh, get displaced there. Um, but you've got enough to remember without uh, confusing that. But another thing that um, about that closing on that loan, I was sure excited, and then I got a little bit nervous because I thought, wow, dude, we have to like pay for this. So... Um, that's where you guys come in. Now, if you're new to City Church, we're not that church that's always making you feel like you're going to go to hell if you don't give money to the church, and we're not always up here begging, but we just try and be straightforward about what the Bible teaches and just the best we know how to communicate um, biblical standards for stewardship. So what uh, the Bible teaches is that we want to give a first fruit, tithe, and tithe means what, by the way? Good. To the local storehouse or the local church that we've seen God places so much value in uh, here today. And so when we give our tithe, that helps the church to operate. But then uh, also, uh, those of us that are regulars, above and beyond our regular tithes, we give towards what's called the Restore Fund. And that's the fund that we will pay back our construction loan with uh, in order to, uh, you know, get all the work done here in the theater. And so what I ask you to do is don't let me just stand up here and, like, guilt you into doing anything. Um, what I want you to do is just pray and ask God, what he would like you to do over the next couple of years to give towards the Restore Fund. Um, you know, God knows exactly what you can afford, and sometimes he knows how you can stretch your faith uh, by, by giving. A lot of us are giving over the next couple of years, you know, because we can't afford to give it all up front so we can give a little bit each month to get to the goal. And so I just want you to pray. We don't do it by guilt here, but it's by prayer. 
You ask God and see what he brings to your mind. And the reason I brought that up is because when you give, we don't pass the plates here, but what we do is you can put your offering in one of the little envelopes like that are in the chairs, and there's also some envelopes back by the giving box at the back of the theater. You put your offering in that, and there'll be a, a line item for your regular tithe, but then there'll also be one in addition to that if you want to do the restore fund there. And you can drop it in the box in the coffee shop or at the back of the theater. You can also give online at citychurchdowntown.com. Uh, online and the giving kiosks will also have the line for restore if you want to participate in that. Um, again, those giving kiosks, there's one right here at the front right of the stage in the theater. There's also some in the lobby, also in the coffee shop. So we're just real grateful for the way you guys are so generous around here. And we want you to know how much we appreciate it because we know that money doesn't grow on trees and you guys are working hard for your dollars. And when you invest it in the things of the kingdom of God, uh, we're just grateful for it, you know? So let's stand up together. And we're not a franchise around here. We're a family and that's why we join hands with each other. And so if you guys wouldn't mind to join hands with the brothers and sisters next to you, right now what you're doing is you're forming, you're these little rocks, right? But together we're uh, unifying to become that immovable rock. And so dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, may you be unified with your mother, the church, unified in the Holy Spirit and in love. And may God's Spirit in a way that only he can do, calm the excruciatingly painful chaos that some of you are going through. And as you walk from here, may you step with peace and calm, walking from here to create a much more beautiful future for our world. You guys have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next time, okay? Bye now. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.